0: These are the verses that we're going to meditate upon tonight from Luke 18 and verses 9 to 14 will be our text. Last week we looked at the first verses that we find there in Luke chapter 18 and there we were reminded about the necessity of persevering in prayer. We had the widow who would not give up And she continued in prayer until she got her request. And that was an illustration to the Christian and to people that you are to call upon the living God and you are to give him no rest until he hears your prayer and answers your prayer. Now here in this other parable that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ, it's about the Pharisee and the publican. And the Lord teaches his disciples the manner in which they ought to pray. It is the manner in which we ought to pray that is the fore of this parable here. We might ask ourselves first of all in our introduction, who is the Pharisee? What is a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee is a a separated individual. He's one who takes the Word of God very, very seriously. He seeks to order and to live his life according to the teachings of the Word of God. And he's a zealot. He's enthusiastic. He normally would be a morally upright individual. It is true to say, friends, that we would love to have this person as our neighbor and as our friend. He is a religious, devout individual. And he's all out to serve the Lord his God as he sees it, according to his understanding and what he's been taught regarding the Scriptures. Now we have here another individual. He's called a publican. Of course, he's not a publican in the sense that we know a publican today He's not an innkeeper. He doesn't own a pub or, or an hotel. He doesn't serve at licensed premises. No, a publican in biblical terms is one who, te- uh, who collects taxes. He's a tax collector. And he, te- he collects taxes for the Roman government. And he gives so much of the taxes, his required amount to the Roman authorities... And he keeps the rest for himself. And most of these tax collectors would be rogues. They would be ruffians. They would be people that you would not want to be involved in. They would not be your friends. You would not want them to be your neighbours. You would shun them. Because they were all out to serve themselves and to amass filthy lucre. And it didn't matter how they got it. And usually they were very, very successful. And therefore, you can see there's a great contrast here between a religious zealot and a social outcast. And what do we find? They go to the temple and they pray. Well, like the first parable in the beginning of the chapter, there's no doubt about what this parable is all about. Jesus tells us in verse 9... And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So right at the very beginning we have a parable about this matter, about this subject. And surely friends, first of all we have therefore a warning. We have a warning. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were Righteous. We have a warning here about self-righteousness. What is self-righteousness? Well, we'll discover that in a few moments. But this is something that we need to take home. This is something that we need to grasp and realize. That by nature, we are all. Self righteous. We all belong to the family of Adam. We all have inherited his sinful, fallen nature, and it's part of that nature. We're all inclined to think too highly of ourselves. This is part of what self righteousness means. We're inclined to look and to favor ourselves and our actions above others. And we're inclined to look down upon others. And we're inclined to think that they are not as good as we are. That is a hallmark of being self-righteous. And because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, this is part of what it is to have a sinful nature. We are, by default, self-righteous. It's a family disease. It has come from us, from our first parents. Let me quote one or two texts that would substantiate what I seek to uphold here. In Proverbs chapter 20 verse 6, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. In another chapter in the book of James, we read from James chapter 5, but in James chapter 3 verse 2, For in many things we offend all. That describes every one of us. For in many things we offend all. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived apart from Christ himself in Ecclesiastes, Chapter 7 verse 20. What does he say? For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. This is the Bible's description of every one of us by nature. We don't find it flatters us. Well, the Bible rarely flatters us. It may well inform us. It may well tell us the truth, but it's not out to flatter us. And this is one of the proofs that we would use to substantiate that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. And it's not the Word of man. If it was the Word of man, it would seek to extol man. But instead... It accurately describes fallen man, and whereby it reveals unto us our great need of a saviour. Well, if we all have this problem, what is the cure? Again, the Bible tells us what the cure is. What is the cure to our self-righteousness? Friends, the, the cure is that we are to have knowledge of ourselves. Now you might think that's a strange thing. We're looking to ourselves. No, friends, we want to look at ourselves as the Bible de- depicts us. We want to put on uh, the Bible's glasses, if you like, and look at our lives through, the, through what the Bible teaches us. And the Bible teaches us these things, and we are to know these things. We are to truly know ourselves as God knows us. Not as we might like to think to be known. Not as we value it ourselves. Instead, we are to have true self-knowledge. We are to understand our real condition, our real plight, our real state before a holy God. And this is the very ABCs of biblical Christianity. This is the very ABCs of saving Christianity. It's once we have a grasp and an understanding of our real state before God, then, then and only then will we have any idea of the wonder and the glory and the glorious provision that God has made for sinners in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek and to save that which was lost. And therefore, it's essential for us. It's essential for us that we be humbled. It's essential for us that we be filled with true knowledge of our true state and our true condition before Almighty God. It doesn't matter what we think of ourselves. It doesn't matter what others think about us. What matters is God's verdict. Why? Because ultimately, whether we like it or not, whether we will accept it or not, we'll have an audience with God. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day when our very thoughts, our words, our actions shall all be laid bare. Is it not better now then to know what our true condition is? Is it not better to know that the Bible says we are self-righteous, we proclaim our own righteousness? Is it not better to know that we need another righteousness? We need the righteousness of another in order to be saved. We need a righteousness of another in order that we might stand before God justified. Oh, what a glorious prospect that is. That sinners can be made justified. That sinners can be declared righteous in the sight of God. And it's not by our own efforts. It's not by our own achievements. It's not by looking upon ourselves. It is by looking to what Jesus Christ, the Lord, has done on behalf of sinful mankind. There's the warning. It's here in this short parable. It's warning us about being self-righteous. And we need to humble ourselves before the law of God and recognize that we are far from righteous as far as God is concerned. You would notice in this warning, friends, that self-righteousness is deceptive. It's like sin. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives. Self-righteousness is like that. It, it, it is deceptive. You may well have listened as I read. You would have listened to verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You heard that. You've read it maybe on other occasions. Are you not inclined to loathe this individual? Do you not find that his self-righteousness, if you like, is coming out of his pores? It is nauseating to us, his own description of himself. And is it not true that when we see these two characters and we see their words Are we not inclined to identify ourselves with the publican? And we would say, well, I'm not the Pharisee. I'm like the publican. I would identify with him. And you despise the Pharisee. Now, why do I say that? Well, what does Jesus say is one of the marks of the self righteous They despise others. Go back to verse 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Are we not inclined by nature when we read this parable to despise the Pharisee and to side with the publican? We are falling into the trap of being self-righteous. Because this is a hallmark of those who are self-righteous. They will despise others. You see the point, friends. Self-righteousness is truly deceptive. That's why it's a warning that's been given unto us. If we are ones who go about looking down upon others... Oh well, we don't go to that church because they don't do what we do. We don't follow that minister because he doesn't do what we do. We don't side with these brethren because they don't do what we do. We look down upon them. Is that not self-righteousness? This is what Jesus is warning us about in this parable. And despised others. This is what the Pharisee did. He saw the poor publican there. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. He despised him. What else can we cover under this heading of the warning? The self righteous Pharisee, he was a man who prayed. Now we'll use that term, or that word prayed, in its loosest sense. But what do we find? We find him in the tabern- in the temple. And we find him praying. He is someone who is seeking an audience with God. He's not someone who has his mouth closed. You know, we encounter many self-righteous people who are never in a church. We meet them all the time. We meet them in the streets. We meet them in the doors. We speak to them and we try to introduce the claims of Christ to them. And what do they say? I'm not interested. I couldn't care less. I'm fine the way I am. But he wasn't like that. He was a man under the means of grace. He was a man who went to the temple. He was a man who sought an audience with God. He prayed. Whether his prayer was heard or answered, we can debate and argue about later on. But what we need to understand here, he was not a man whose mouth was closed, who did not acknowledge God. We find here that he he thanks God. I hope you understand then the warning that Jesus gives us here, gives all of us here. Self-righteousness is deceptive. It's very difficult always to define it's like when you try, as a youngster, you go to the, the pools by the, by the seaside and you, you tr- you're searching for eels and you lift up a rock and an eel goes around and you try to catch it and it's so difficult to catch. That's what it's like to describe being self-righteous. It is so deceptive. And this is the warning that Jesus gives every single one of us here tonight. Don't think for one minute that you cannot be self-righteous. Indeed, it would be far more beneficial to us all to realize that to some level, We're all self-righteous. Secondly, we have here the prayer of the Pharisee. We have just read them. There's no need to reread them. He stood and prayed. But there's a great defect in his prayer. His prayer was articulate. He could speak. He didn't stammer. He didn't find it difficult to utter words. Even words before Almighty God in a religious sense. But there was a great defect. One commentator maintained that there was no mention of sin in this prayer. I get his point, but I'm not sure I totally agree with him. Because to give the Pharisee credit where credit is due, he does say, God, I thank Thee. He does acknowledge the goodness of God, the grace of God to some level. He does acknowledge this, and I'm inclined to think that although there's very little emphasis upon sin at all, he does recognize that he needs the grace and the mercy of God. But it is true to say that he has no real sense of sin. And this is what we find on the streets, and this is what we find on, on the doorsteps of the places that we visit Multitudes have no idea, no care, no concern. They do not realize they're sinners in the hands of God. And maybe that's the condition of many of us here this evening. We don't realize our plight. We don't realize the true state of our condition before a holy God. A holy God who who cannot look upon evil and will not tolerate it and will not overlook it. He must deal with it there is no confession and there is no petition. Now we're talking here not so much about public prayer. There is a difference. This is is private. This is personal. This is prayer between one man and his God. And therefore, there should be this element of confession in our prayers. And friends, you need to look at yourselves and you need to gauge your own prayers. But if there's no confession in your prayers, there's something wrong. Because we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. And yes, we may well be saved. We may... well know the joy of having our sins forgiven and being reconciled to God. But nevertheless... We are not free from sin. It still has an influence upon us. And we still sin to our shame. And therefore every time we come before God. There must be this element of confession. And we must make a petition. Lord save me from my sins. You know that's not a once for all prayer. That you said when you first began to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an ongoing thing. We find None of that. In the Pharisees he stood and prayed. No supplication for mercy and grace. This is what we need continually. We may pray for temporal things, and indeed we should pray for temporal things. But oh, we need spiritual things far more. We need them more and more. We need the mercy of God every day, every moment of every day. We need the grace of God, and we need to be surrounded by the love of God. These are things that we need to cry out for in our prayers. We find none of that here. Instead, what does he do? He almost congratulates himself. It's all about him, his fasting and his giving. It's all about his sacrificial life and, and dedication. This man's a zealot. This man is not a, a person who does nothing. He seeks to serve the Lord in his day and generation. And he wants everyone to know about it. His is a sacrificial Religion. He talks about his fasting. He fasts twice in the week. One commentator maintained that, if my memory serves me right, that would be on a Monday and a Thursday. Why? Because these were market days. And many people would visit the towns on these market days and the place would be overwhelmed with people. And there the Pharisee was able to show how diligent he was when he fasted when all of these people were there. His was a a generous religion. He tithed everything he had. His religion was Cost him something. Not like the religion of many people today. Many people today, their religion doesn't cost them anything. Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't affect their wallet. Or it doesn't affect their life. They give up nothing for the Lord Jesus. Here was one. Who served the Lord as far as he was, thought he was, sacrificially, in his life and in his wallet. But he was full of self righteousness. And we're told at the end. He went home to his house and he was not justified. What does that mean? It means he was not right with God. He may well be right with the people in the temple. He may well be right with his neighbors. They might look up to him. But not with God. Thirdly, we notice here the publican's prayer. Verse 13 And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I omitted to give you the title. The title for the sermon is Pray Like the Publican. Pray Like the Publican. That doesn't mean to say that you are to adopt his actual words verbatim. Although if they came from the heart there would be no harm in it. But you are certainly to adopt the kind of prayer that he prayed because it was a real prayer. And there are a number of elements in it that would teach us and tell us this is real prayer. This is prayer that is heard in heaven. This is prayer that the Lord delights in. And this is prayer that the Lord delights to answer. And that's why we are to pray like the publican. Because it was a real petition. He was petitioning God as a sinner. The Pharisee was positioning God as a self-righteous man. This poor publican knew he was a sinner. He knew he he would stand before a great and awesome God one day. He knew he was not fit for that experience. He knew he would be condemned. And therefore, friends, that formed and shaped his prayer. And that's the way it must be for us when we come before God in prayer. We must always remember we are sinners. We may well be saved sinners, but nevertheless we're sinners. And maybe even tonight you're not saved. And therefore you're a hell-deserving sinner. And you must be saved. How can you be saved? You must call out upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you must call out like this man called out. A real petition. And oh that we heard more of these petitions. Real prayer. And it was a personal prayer. What do we mean by that? There was no we in it. No. It was him. I. He wanted to have personal dealings with the living God. And very often friends in our prayers. We are not personal enough. We are not direct enough. This man is giving us an illustration of what it's like to pray and to persevere and to be heard in heaven. He cries out. Standing afar off, he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, God, be merciful to all of us, to the street, to some. No, he wants God to be merciful to him. He recognizes he's in need of the mercy of God. And that's the way it must be. We must have personal dealings with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the minister, what is he? All he can do is point you to the Lord Jesus. The minister is like John the Baptist. He's a signpost. Behold, the Lamb of God. You must have dealings with him. That's what must happen, friends. There's nothing vague about his prayer. He knew he had a problem. He knew it. He knew he was a sinner. He felt the weight of his sin, he had some apprehension of them. Of what God is like. And he saw the great contrast between a sinner and a holy God. And he cried out for mercy. It was a humble prayer. This is surely what, what, what else this parable is teaching us. The need for humility. Humility. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. Is that not what the Pharisee was doing? He was exalting himself in the temple, in the presence of God. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here was the poor publican. That social outcast. That person that no one would have anything to do with. His only friends would be other tax collectors because they were hated and they were despised because of their occupation. (coughs) Humility should mark our prayers. Indeed, humility should be the hallmark of the life of the Christian. A life of humility. And mercy is what he sought. He would have had other needs. But this was his principal need. He may have health issues. He may have relationship problems. He could have a mountain of other problems. But he realized this was the one thing needful. He needed to experience the mercy of God... And he had faith in that God. Therefore, he cries out to that God. Cries out for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm grateful to one commentator who spoke about this. When it says, But smote upon his breast. He smacked his breast. And according to the culture of the day, this is what a woman would do. No man would do this unless he was under extreme pressure and anxiety. This man had come to an end of himself. He didn't care what people said. He didn't care what they thought. He didn't care who was looking on. He was banging his breast because he was earnest And he wanted the mercy of God to be his portion. He wanted his sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. And surely it's obvious that his prayer was no mere prayer by rote. It came from the heart. It came out of his very pores. It was oozing out of him. This is the prayer that God hears. This is for the prayer that God wants to hear from you tonight. If you're still in your sins, if you're lost, if you're perishing, if you're without hope, without God in this world, oh, if you're feeding eternity, if you're feeding death, if you're feeding judgment, if your sins are overwhelming you, what must you do? You must cry out like this individual He was hated. He was despised. He was an outcast. He went to the temple. He called upon God. And what happened? God heard him. Jesus was able to declare. This man went down to his house justified. This man had his sins forgiven. That night, that day, whenever he uttered his prayer, his sins were forgiven. Would you not like to know that glorious experience? Would you not like to have your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God? Here's the way. Come, call upon Him. Acknowledge your sin. Come to Him. Friends, this parable is teaching us the manner In which we're to pray. We're to pray like the publican. We're not to act out his occupation. No. We're to pray like him. Jesus tells us. Now this was revolutionary. This is turning the religious world upside down. If you had asked a a Jew... What's going on here? When they saw the two men praying. They would all say. The Pharisee. He's gone home justified. He's right with God. Not the other man. Jesus says no. The publican. Was justified. Therefore let us pray like the publican. Amen. And may the Lord bless his